0: Think
1: my direction is the right direction. Some people differ. Hi everyone, it. I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to Inner Work, Ally Squared's official podcast where we learn how to better practice allyship. Ally Squared's team resides and works on the
2: unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples, but our work extends across Turtle Island. We give our respect to the first peoples of this land and commit to decolonizing efforts within our organization. Today, we are going to be talking about poverty and guaranteed livable income.
1: I'm so excited about this.
2: Yeah, and we have a very exciting guest as well. So first, before we get into that, what is poverty? So poverty can be described as a condition in which an individual or a community lacks the essentials to meet a minimum standard of living. Yeah. And there's different kinds of poverty. So there's social, there's economic, there's political... Um, and poverty is also relational. So poverty in Canada is not the same as poverty in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, for I
1: example. think that's really important to talk about just mm-hmm. because I think we see ourselves in our context all the time, but I think it is important to assert the fact that poverty looks different in different places.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So absolute poverty, for example, would be less than $1.25 per day and that's
1: a UN that's a UN definition yeah. of it.
2: And it's, you know, the lack of basic means like food, shelter, water, education, medical care. Um, and there's different causes of poverty as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I think poverty we often see as something that's like, well, there's misconceptions of it being like an individual decision or an individual mistake. But really often, um, poverty isn't caused by the individual themselves, it's the circumstances that um, society has forced onto them. And so um, some of those causes can be a lack of access to services, to um, medicine, to education, to a lot of those important things that we need in order to um, mobilize up in society. Um, Lack of livable wages. That's one of the big ones is, you know, despite people working and having full-time or part-time jobs, um, the wages just don't meet the standards of living that we have and the levels of inflation ensuring that um, people have access to higher education. So that's another way to really move up in the social ladder. And that's often not the case for people. Um, Poverty is also cyclical. So I think it's important to understand that it's incredibly difficult to get out of poverty without um, effective policies and supports and so that's also a really big reason and I feel like a lot of people know about poverty whether through their own lived experiences whether they've you know read it about it in the news it's often a topic that comes up um, or just understanding our economy here in Canada Um, but I don't think a lot of people know about the policies or the practices that can improve conditions of poverty
2: yeah absolutely so today to talk about help us talk about this topic i should say we have leah gazan and she is a member of parliament for winnipeg center she's an educator by trade and she spent her life working for human rights on local national and international stage Um, leah is the ndp critic for children families and social development and recently introduced motion 46 to convert the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, so CERB, that yeah. we've seen throughout COVID-19 into a permanent guaranteed livable basic income. So MP Gazan is a member of the Wood Mountain Nation located in Saskatchewan Treaty 4 territory.
1: Thank you for being here today, Leah. thank you so much for having me (laughs) um so we ask all of our guests one question to just really get the ball rolling and position ourselves here in this conversation so that question is what inner work have you had to do to get yourself where you are today
0: well you know i actually didn't have aspirations to uh, enter politics formally um, you know, actually, most of my life has been an advocate on the ground, uh, you know, fighting for uh, human rights, climate justice, and uh, social justice for all. And, uh, and I- including that, uh, within that, I've done a lot of work around ending violence against uh, Indigenous women and girls, uh, Two Spirits, um, and then, of course, much work around trying to push for the full adoption and implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've gotten where I am because of uh, because of being career-driven. It, you know, I think it more relates to the fact that I was born into the movement. Uh, I've been fighting around social justice issues uh, for many years. Uh, and... Um, yeah and so here i am today so you know i'm a longtime academic uh it's a very nice life being an academic but i do feel like we're at a critical juncture and everything that we do right now uh, matters uh and uh, i think right now we need critical voices in the house of commons uh, progressive voices and i and i hope to be that voice
1: yeah and you absolutely are in our opinion so yeah <laughs>
2: Um, Okay, so getting back to kind of what we were talking about before, what is guaranteed livable basic income, and why do you believe in it so strongly?
0: Well, I think it's important to note that we already have guaranteed income programs uh, in Canada. OAS, Mm -hmm. old age security, is an Mm -hmm. example of a guaranteed uh, income, not livable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, another example is employment insurance, not livable. Uh, We also have other guaranteed incomes like social assistance, not livable. And so what my motion proposes is to um, increase current uh, guaranteed livable basic income so that they're livable and extend them out. Students, uh, for example, who were uh, impacted by the pandemic. Uh, I mean, even prior to COVID, we know how many students live in poverty um, who couldn't work, uh, who still need to live. You know extending it out uh, disabled persons who get some disability benefits not livable and we know through the pandemic there's certain groups that have been left behind uh, making it livable uh, and extending it out and being in addition to current and future um, government supports and services uh, this is not a new concept uh, this is not my idea in fact this motion was done in consultation with um, Basic Income Manitoba and Basic Income Canada. Um, and uh, so I call it the People's Motion. Uh, they ha- there have been, uh, in the past, guaranteed uh, income programs that have been piloted, including in Manitoba with the Mincome Study decades ago. And what they found was that, you know, there's higher costs, on the front end, and then it pays for itself. Uh, for example, they saw an immediate 8% reduction on healthcare costs when they put in place uh, guaranteed uh, basic income. Uh, they also saw uh, an increase
1: um, or a, a decrease in crime rates when they uh, put this through. So really, it sounds like an incredibly holistic strategy.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. So it has to be, I mean, the thing about guaranteed income programs is it has to be in addition to future and current uh, government supports and services. And that's something that my uh, motion offers up. Um, otherwise, people can end up uh, poorer uh, than than. They started with, and, and part of that relates to, for example, uh, there's certain groups that have higher costs: seniors, medication. Mm-hmm. We need to have a pharmacare program. Mm-hmm. Uh, another group, a disabled persons, again, uh, higher costs often like just getting things like uh, for mobility, uh, th- medications. A higher cost, And so it needs to be um, in addition uh, to, it is not a UBI. It's not for everybody. It's for those who do not currently have a livable income. Mm-hmm. And it's different than some of the programs that have been offered up in the States by folks like Andrew Yang, where he said, okay, we'll just give everybody mm-hmm. a certain amount. And that will be that. I'm not offering that up. What mm-hmm. I'm offering is to build on our current social safety net, expand it out and make it livable.
1: that sounds a lot like equity over equality is, you know, prioritizing the groups that really haven't ever been prioritized in our economy.
0: Yeah. And I think like poverty costs a lot of money. Mm
1: -hmm. You
0: know, people talk about the high cost of programs. Uh, I talk about the high cost of poverty. For example, it costs $115,000 a year to keep one person incarcerated in a federal pen penitentiary one person Mm -hmm. $550 taxpayer dollars a year to fuel a justice system that's not very just we know that you know if you look at incarceration rates if you look at rates of poverty uh, there's statistically higher rates for individuals from BIPOC communities Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to change that and so uh, instead of talking about the high cost of programs we need to start talking about the high cost of poverty and how money's spent like why do we spend all this money bailing out corporations uh you know allowing for uh offshore tax uh havens not imposing a wealth tax for the ultra wealthy in this country you know there it's not the poor that are the problem in this country it's the it's the lack of sharing uh mm-hmm. that occurs uh, that benefits the ultra wealthy uh, whether it be corporations or individuals and we need to change that
2: Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so Leah I guess this could kind of you almost answered this question but what do you say to people who believe that poverty is a result of individual choices and not systems
0: well I think we I mean I. it doesn't even matter how I feel about it I think we could just point to research to know that's just a false uh, statement and and let's be clear Uh, Some people can't work. You know, people with severe mental health and trauma issues can't work. You know, I I asked the conservative through the um, Bill C-7 legislation around Maine, you know, uh, disabled persons, knowing that 70% of adults with uh, severe intellectual uh, disabilities um, may not be able to work. They live in poverty. 70%. 70%. You know, this assumption that everybody just needs to pick themselves up from their bootstraps and work is not a factual a demand or a, a demand that's that's based on the facts. Senior citizens, do we want 80-year-old people having to get back to work so they have enough to live on? So I think we need uh, to change the discussion about that and know that uh, systems of poverty, um, you know, when you have again you know the ultra wealthy in this country i mean if you want to talk about welfare let's let's cut uh, and put an end to corporate welfare
1: Mm. uh
0: let's uh put an end uh to uh, offshore tax havens and subsidizing the ultra wealthy who have all sorts of tax breaks uh they barely have to pay taxes that's unacceptable uh we need to change that uh you know particularly in a country that claims to uphold human rights we need to change that Mm
2: -hmm yeah absolutely so i think it's really important for us to talk about while we're discussing poverty we also need to discuss you know the disproportionate impact that poverty has on racialized people especially indigenous peoples so do you feel that poverty enforced onto indigenous peoples is a form of modern day colonialism
0: well, it's not modern-day uh, colonialism. It's neocolonialism. Yeah. Let's not forget we still live under the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and all the, the uh, part of the Act even limited our ability to leave reserves uh, until after the 1960s. Uh, You know, we get, for example, uh, with the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruling to immediately stop racially discriminating against First Nations kids living on uh, reserve, the the government is currently in nine non-compliance orders. Why? Uh, Because we get often 20 to 40% less in funding than what people uh, receive living off of reserves. So, I mean, if you wanna talk about legislation and poverty, it's ongoing uh, even today that's unacceptable particularly when we know during the pandemic there's many first nations communities that don't even have access to clean drinking water that uh, in communities like shamanawa who got one COVID case now has 200 over 200 uh, with a population of a thousand why because of overcrowding uh, in housing conditions Um, so do i think uh, we need to change that absolutely uh, do I think that poverty, particularly uh, in Inuit and First Nations uh, uh, communities, is rooted in systemic racism uh, and colonial and ongoing colonialism? Hundred percent. And we need to address these issues and move forward in a better way.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we often, from a lot of you know, alt right or very extremist conservative people, there's there's this you know, really racist stigma and prejudice attached to conversations about indigenous peoples and poverty. And I think often what we do is we try and say, oh, no, but look at this First Nations that is doing so well, when we should be addressing the racism that's in those kinds of statements. And it's Mm -hmm. the idea that, no, it's it's like we said before, it's not an individual decision. It's not a group decision. It's a systemic decision by colonial governments to enforce this.
0: Let's be real about this. I mean, you know, these are our lands. Mm-hmm. You know, we currently have less than 1% of Canada's land mass, and still we see governments trying to infringe, uh, violating our rights, particularly around resource extraction. The riches of this country are, were built on the backs of Indigenous mm-hmm. people and in ongoing uh, genocidal acts against mm-hmm. indigenous, indigenous peoples so the only reason we are as wealthy as we are in this country is because of the exploitation of and the dispossession of indigenous lands uh, and often leaving us homeless uh, on our own lands uh, in urban centers or in overcrowded conditions uh, in 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 our in in housing in, even in the province of manitoba whose whole pr- the whole province of manitoba is fueled by hydro yet up north in northern manitoba it's the second poorest riding in the country how is this how is it that in communities we are short things like 500 uh, 500 uh short by housing stock you know 500 homes mm-hmm. in one community how is this so so this is not by accident this is by design and this was legislated uh, through the indian act uh, mm-hmm. which we still live under today
1: yeah absolutely and um i think part of that is just this like this neglect shown through the bureaucracy too i mean i worked for inac and i just it's so blatant when you work for public services and government systems not to say that they aren't well-intentioned people there but the systems themselves are designed to where it's this like white supremacist patriarchal belief over over control and entitlement over peoples over their resources over their land all of this and that I mean that all brings us back to this conversation of why you know our systems are developed to be so inequitable
2: yeah and I think it also points to what you mentioned earlier about kind of just like pick yourself up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. and continue on but we don't take into account the Intense history and the reason why these things are happening to people and the present. And, and, yeah. and it, it,
0: I'll give you an example: as an Indigenous woman under the Indian Act today, today mm-hmm. I don't even have, according to the Indian Act, the same rights as other women.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Never mind men. Yeah, I don't even have, and I'm a member of Parliament. But so I mean, these these things are historical but they're also contemporary. And I think when we talk about reconciliation and moving forward, it's hard to move forward if you don't make changes to systems that perpetuate ongoing uh, injustice.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It can't just be like a a person to person, individual to individual situation.
2: Mm-hmm. So how can people who live in Canada help you make GLBI a reality? And I guess as an extension of that, what are some things that we can do to improve conditions for people who are living in poverty?
0: Well, I think keep pushing forward. We have close to 50,000 signatures on a petition that that I put out. Uh, for a guaranteed livable basic income, contact your members of parliament, contact your senators. I don't, it's a motion, it's not a bill, but let's make it a key election issue in this upcoming election so that people know that this is a make or break issue. This would be a game changer. Certainly in my riding, the third poorest in the country where many people don't have their minimum human rights uh, being afforded to them, even though this is an obligation that we have under the Canadian charter, in fact, as members of parliament to uphold the charter and uphold the constitution. So push your members of parliament, build momentum on the ground. I know many of you are students with Allied Square. Keep uh, the student movement is a powerful movement. Mobilize that movement, keep that moving uh, movement going forward. And let's make this a key election issue. And hopefully we'll realize human rights for all Canadians uh, and or anybody living in Canada going forward.
1: Hmm. I think that's, you just touched on something that I, I have a question about is that, that anyone living in um, Canada right now. So um, would your motion include temporary migrant workers, for example?
0: 100%. And, and part of the reason is is that I mean, I don't know if you saw during uh, COVID nineteen um, uh, temporary foreign workers in Ontario being housed in shoe boxes, mm-hmm. getting food rations. This is in Canada.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, we have a, an obligation to ensure that everybody living in Canada lives with human rights and dignity. I would very clearly argue that is not practicing uh, ensuring that some that an individual has what they need to live with human rights and dignity and so this also provides protection uh, for people who have historically been exploited by uh, employers particularly multinational corporations uh you know we go to the grocery store a lot of the things that we buy are built off again the backs of of workers who are not afforded uh, human rights so absolutely uh, permanent residents who pay taxes temporary foreign workers, uh, you know, uh, students, seniors, disabled persons, um, yeah, extend it out
1: that's that's so amazing to hear and i mean our commune ally project talks about the different ways that um indigenous peoples and migrants from a variety of backgrounds have so much in common in the ways that they experience systematic oppression um despite their incredibly different lived Mm -hmm. experiences and histories and i think this is a great example of a policy that affects a lot of those communities and groups is you know they they experience this kind of oppression because again i I don't want to be the the person that keeps repeating this, but it's true, um, how much systemically our systems are created to ignore these things and ignore these peoples. So I think this is a great example of how, you know, allyship by non migrant, non indigenous communities can work when they advocate and like you said, make this a voting issue you know i think that's the only way in politics things change when people are fear their seats in the house when people fear um their parties um become forming government or not forming government losing confidence votes all of that is right down to you know the people who um email their mps and say you know what i'm not gonna vote for you again there's nothing more powerful than saying that to your mp yeah
0: Oh, 100%, and, and I and I do believe in the movement. I certainly was, uh, the movement got me elected, the movement got me nominated, and the movement got me uh, elected. And I think, you know, we need to lift up these, uh, lift up voices. Uh, we need to not turn a blind eye on the many human rights violations that occur uh, in this country uh, in real time. We need to educate ourselves, and then we need to educate Others And we need to push for change. That's the only way change happens. And so, you know, what you're doing here with Allied Square, uh, trying to understand your own realities and context of the realities of, of those uh, that surround you, uh, this is the only way we'll be able to push things forward. So I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thank and you. I think it's it's so empowering and so just so you know, it's boosting my confidence, boosting my view of society and how I feel that things can change and impact can happen when we see um, you in Parliament. I think it's it's so great to be able to, you know, I mean, not as much anymore because you can't go and see um, MPs during question period. But I used to live in Ottawa and just being able to go and see you and see um, The way that you fight for your communities and for everyone in Canada has been so inspirational. And you drive us and we drive you. And that's the amazing impact of the kind of work we do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And, uh, you know, I I often say that uh, MPs are actually quite unimportant. It's everything that happens on the ground that empowers us to do things in the House of Commons. So you're a critical voice. Keep pushing, um, you know, keep uh, bringing to light, like I said, uh, issues that matter. And it's only that way that we change the world, really. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it, the movement, you can't control it. Uh, you just have to keep moving mm-hmm. and, and, and pushing things hopefully in the right direction. I think my direction is the right direction. Some people differ.
2: Let's keep pushing in my direction. I think it's the right one. So I think our last kind of fun question that we have, that we ask every guest at the end of an interview is, would you rather live a week in the past or the future and why?
1: And you can go as far into the past and as far into the future as you'd like. Yeah.
0: Um, I think the past. I think, uh, like, way, way back when my ancestors prior to colonization to see how things were
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to do things like learn my language that was taken away from me uh, through you know, a g- genocide like child welfare and residential schools in my family, uh, learning how to live off the land uh, and simply, I think I would like to go back so that I can understand better where we are today and, you know, from from where we come from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great answer.
2: I love that. Every guest we've had so far, I think has all, they've all said the future Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for someone to say the past. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, they, Leah. Yeah, thank here. you again.
0: It was so nice seeing you all again and keep doing this fantastic work.
1: Thank you so much. And to follow Leah on Twitter, um, you can go to at Leah Gazan and on Instagram, it's at Leah Gazan MP. So again, thank you so much for uh, to you, Leah. I really hope we keep in touch and we're supporting you. Yes all the way um, in every way we can. And for anyone who wants to get to know more about us, you can follow at Ally Two Squared on all social media channels and visit www.alliesquared.ca.
2: Our episodes occur bi-weekly on Sundays, so make sure to tune in. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Bye.